0: Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive.
1: Good morning, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner. And today we are continuing on the conversation with you through the becoming your own banker book this is by nelson nash and bruce i love these conversations with you partially because you've read the book so many times and you knew nelson nash very closely or very personally as well i had a wonderful chance to meet him once through you in an event that you guys had hosted and i think that was about 8 years ago now um then we've had him on the podcast once as well or maybe twice i don't know i think it was just once um but I just love how he breaks down very important concepts about money, about human nature, about how the world works and really makes it simple. And so I love having these conversations with you because there's just so much behind the behind the text, if you will, that you're able to bring to light. So thanks for joining me today for this call.
2: Yeah, no no problem. This is um I always find this interesting. I I do this not often, but occasionally I will go to the Uh, Amazon and and type in Becoming Your Own Banker, and I will read the reviews. And most of the reviews are just glowing reviews about how this is, you know, this is just a wonderful way to live your life. This book has so many things that are obvious, but I've never thought of before. Why haven't I thought about this? Why didn't I know this sooner? But there's always... (laughs) A select few people oh, yes. that give it a one and they say things like there's there's no good information in this book. It's just a bunch of folksy type, you know, lessons about life. And I don't understand how that has anything to do with money. And and uh that's I think the they're problem. showing their
1: cards, right? They're showing right, their cards right. and they just
2: <laughs> right. aren't thinking right about this. Right. That is the problem because money is just a tool. Uh, it's, a, it's a means of exchange. It's, it's how we de- determine value for our goods and services. I was having a wonderful um, conversation with one of our clients, Dave Urban from Zanesville, Ohio. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, he has worked very, very hard in providing as much value for this small community as possible whether it's through his farming operation whether it's few, uh, uh, from his real estate operation from volunteering his time to the local organizations he just wants to build up the community and he says he's always telling people you know money is just a tool you know you can lose you can lose all the money in the world and start over again it doesn't it doesn't reflect on you personally and and that fear of that personal reflection is what holds a lot of people back from enjoying life. and I was having this discussion with several clients because as as the recording of this episode, there are so many people having these clickbait doomsday expressions on the internet about how you know we're going to go through the worst you know recession ever, maybe the worst depression ever, maybe. Maybe there's not even a term for what we're going to go through. You know, the great reset people are saying. And I'm like, what does that even mean? I mean, why are people worried about this? Um, If you have worked on yourself personally, if you had good savings habits, if you believe in yourself, then all society will just reorganize. That It's not a reflection of you. I've said this to business owners for years and years and years. Yes, it's great to have a business plan. Yes, it's great to have a marketing, but that includes a marketing plan. Yes, it's good to have um, working capital, but you can have the greatest situation in the world. You can have the greatest service and good in the world, but you're at the wrong time in, in society. Whether And we just recently did this with COVID. Mm-hmm. Then you could also have... A ridiculous product or services service that nobody would ever buy, but because of some kind of societal change, everybody jumps on and you're wildly successful for a short period of time. Rachel, you're much too young for this, but in the 1970s, what I'm thinking of is what was called the pet rock.
1: Oh, Somebody got this. I know idea. about this. Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Somebody got this idea that they were going to market a rock that was easy to take care of. And people in the seventies were literally buying river rocks, just, you know, four inches by two and a half inches rocks that were put into a box. And it was called a pet rock because you could have companionship with it, but you didn't have to all the trials and tribulations of taking care of it. And it was wildly, wildly successful. Now, obviously, it was only wildly successful for a short period of time but it's that kind of things that will reorganize along the way. And Nelson was very, very good at getting people to think. He was one of the best, and I'm not really good at this sometimes, but he would ask a question and then just stop and let people think it through. And this is what his book does. It gives you the most important thing in life is how you think. And so, those people, I'll wrap it up with this introduction. I'll wrap it up by saying the people that give ones to the book on Amazon have the arrival syndrome, which is something Nelson talks about in the book. They've already learned everything possible in their life. They know everything. So, why are they even you know, contemplating anything else in their life?
1: Which is so opposite to the growth mindset Carol Dweck talks about that you need to have in order to continue to grow, continue to evolve. And I think really it's having a growth mindset that allows you to recognize that there are changes, there are circumstances outside of your control, but if you are being the person who overcomes, if you're being the innovator, if you're being flexible enough to figure out how to handle those outside circumstances, you're going to survive and you're going to make it no matter what happens outside of you. And I think that's what you were really leaning towards as you were talking mm-hmm. about, you know, the great reset of anything going on in the economy. I mean, you can be an economist and understand the facts, which is really important to understand the times that we live in. But at the same time, it you can approach that with a scarcity mindset and saying, everything's against me. I can't make any progress. I can never be successful. I can never make money. I can never invest. If you come at it from that perspective... It doesn't matter what the circumstances are around you, you're going to still carry that and you're that's going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy. But if you come at it from the perspective of saying, I know I can overcome this, I can be innovative, and I'm going to survive, I'm going to thrive no matter the circumstances, that's requiring the growth mindset that Nelson Nash was all about. And it's woven throughout his entire book. So we're on part eight, if I'm counting correctly. And if I'm not counting correctly, it's because we have a lot of time in between these episodes. I think this is episode eight in the series. So we're going through the book, Nelson Nash wrote, Becoming Your Own Banker. And we're taking it slow because there's just so much in here that is really important to be able to unpack and uncover and discuss what it really means. So last time, we thought we were going to cover two chapters, and that was a little aggressive. But we came at talking about Parkinson's law, Which basically I'll just give a a little recap. Nelson starts by talking about infinite banking is really to solve a financing need in your life more than to solve an insurance need. He says, if you answer the, if you address the financing situation, you will automatically cover the need for insurance. So he doesn't say you don't have a need for insurance. He just says start at it from the perspective of stop losing so much interest by paying interest and paying off loans to other banking institutions. And instead, think about what that banking institution is doing and recover that process in your own life by having a store of capital and then being able to be in a position where you're not having that outflow due to interest to other institutions. So once he really talks about how you can set up your own bank, you need to capitalize it first, you need need to be in a position of having a tailwind. So having your money working for you and not having interest working against you instead of having a headwind in your financial life. He says, it's really important to stop talking just about the technical aspects of how the product works and really focus on the human problem. So the human problem starts with Parkinson's law, and this is where maybe it gets a little folksy, but at the same time, it's extremely important to recognize our human nature is to spend everything we make. And I will be the first to admit, we all come up against this every single day. If you think you don't, you're probably lying or you have transcended some um, spiritual quality that most of humanity, 99.9% of humanity does not possess. Um, Just the other day, I was thinking, you know, I really want to do this particular thing for our youngest daughter. She's about to have a birthday. I'm thinking about the birthday gift, but then there would be this ongoing uh, cost that would be associated with it. We're just trying to look at it realistically and feasibly within our spending plan. We don't believe in budgeting in our house, but we really look at where is our money being allocated? How do we make sure we're making prudent, wise financial decisions? How are we continuing to move forward as our income rises? Let's not succumb to Parkinson's law, which means I spend everything I make and my standard of living just rises along with that income. And pretty soon I realize that I'm still not making any progress financially. I'm just having a, a higher standard of living or higher quality of living. And so it was a discussion my husband and I had to have really looking at, okay, what makes sense in the spending plan if we're allocating resources this way, how do we want to make these decisions? It's not just about what seems like the best, wonderful thing for our kids and our family. And you can do a lot of things, but you cannot do everything. And nobody is in a position to be able to fulfill every single financial desire that they have. That's the human nature of Parkinson's law. Then, so I'm going to pivot from there, but Bruce, if there's anything else you want to bring up about what we've just covered, um, I'll let you do that before I bring in how that ties into what we're talking about today.
2: Well, I think what's um, what's interesting about all this is there's this balance between scarcity mindset and abundance mindset that everybody is playing on a daily basis, and that's part of Parkinson's law. Because if you say to yourself, well, wait a minute, should I have abundance mindset and then just spend everything that I come into, I don't understand you guys are like talking out of both sides of your mouth. And what we are actually trying to say is that balance comes through opportunities. So what I find very interesting in our infinite banking world is that there are some infinite banking imposters that are trying to take what Nelson has set down and changed it because suddenly at their ripe old age of 35, they got everything figured out that took Nelson, you know, well, Nelson never, Nelson would claim he never had it all figured out. He was mm-hmm. constantly learning at his death at, a, I believe was, he was 83 or 84 at his death. And so what, ha- what happens is when you are constantly deploying money And that's what Parkinson's law is. And this is what you're you're hearing out on the internet, TikTok, Instagram. You got to get your money in motion. You got to get your money in motion. Well, as a financial advisor, and by the way, none of what I say today is a recommendation to anybody, except to make that very clear. These are my own thoughts. But when you get your money in motion right away, you expose yourself to different economic times. If, if you're saying, I, I want to have velocity of money right at this time, no matter what. And what we are seeing now in this inflationary environment and the pullback of the economy, we are seeing the changes in the economy so that just putting your money into motion right away could be putting in motion at the exact wrong time. And so Nelson was all about thinking long term. That's why his designs were different than these people that are talking about getting your money in motion he was saying don't be afraid to capitalize because and and there's other things he said but the reason he said those two things is because opportunities find cash well if we go through this downturn which every indication says we're going to the economists are at odds on how bad it's going to be but if we go through this downturn and you've already deployed all your capital then the problem is you're not going to have any capital to take advantage of the downturn where asset prices actually go downward. So that's what part of Parkinson's law is too, is don't spend everything that comes in. And also there's a reason for that because don't invest in everything all the time also, because you want to be able to have capital to take advantage of those situations. So that's a, a transition now to what a lot of people fear is, well, that's great, but Willie Sutton's law then talks about having this capital available and what what happens to people when they do have a lot of capital.
1: I think this is a perfect transition that, um, that Nelson made. And basically he said, most people can't conquer their own human desire and will to spend. And so you have a rise in income, also, all of a sudden your expenses are have risen, there's no savings happening and you're in a position where you're spending everything that you make. He said, if you can conquer that, you're ahead light years and you're going to set yourself apart. This is the person who is saving first, who is diligently having good savings habits. They have good money habits because they have a discipline in their life to save before they spend. So you're light years ahead. And then he says, all right, but it's not all roses after that, because as soon as you have capital, here's Willie Sutton's law. Whatever, Wherever wealth is accumulated, someone will try to steal it. Meaning, well, if you are the, um, I don't know, I'm thinking even in the, like the, gra- the grasshopper and the ant, Aesop fable, I just read to the kids. So the grasshopper wants the ants to give him the food because the grasshopper was spending his whole summer, um, you know fiddling or whatever it was and not <clears throat> not storing up for the winter. Well, the ants stored up for the winter. Now the grasshopper wants to steal the productivity, the storehouse that the ants had produced. Well, that's happening in everyone's life as well. So wherever there's a store of capital, now the people who were not diligent to overcome Parkinson's law would like to say, well, hey, you are successful. You have this capital. Why can't I have some of the capital that you have set aside? So Bruce, I'm going to let you spill the beans on this. Who is the greatest thief that Nelson Nash talks about here?
2: Well, once again, um, Willie Sutton, and he he actually only died in the in 1980, and I was in high school at the time, and it wasn't a huge news story, but I can remember it being a news story in the 70s um, because he was a great bank robber. Robber, and and once he was asked by a reporter, you know why why do you steal from banks, and he Just calmly said, "Well, that's because that's where they keep the money." You know, to him it was like obvious. I mean, why did you even ask me this question? I'm not going to steal from somebody that doesn't have money. Of course. And (laughs) and so, and and so Willie Sutton's law is basically formulated like wherever wealth is accumulated, someone will try to steal it. And Nelson then gives a folksy, like comedic comedic relief in uh, in this paragraph where he says. Theft was the first labor-saving device. So he says, you know, just don't produce anything. Just steal that from which others have already produced. It's kind of like the grasshopper doing it to to the ants. So the grasshopper didn't produce anything, so he just decided, I'm going to steal it from the people that did produce something, or the animals that did produce something. And then Nelson then gets a little controversial, but I know this is going to ring true to a lot of our listeners because. I see the comments, he says the biggest thief in the world is the IRS, the Internal Re- Revenue Service. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was not a big fan of the IRS. Although I do think, I do think Nelson, from talking um, to him over the years, you know, he understood that there's basic needs that, that are more efficiently done by the government um, for his overall central planning. And our our interstate system would be a good example of that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, private citizens could do it and they do it and individual states could do it through the toll road system. But if you don't, it would be hard for each uh, state to coordinate what's the most efficient way to get these roads across the country. But there's very few things that Nelson believed that could be done better in in a centralized situation that can be done by the people. And so he, his whole thing is why are you then taking money from the people that know best to deploy it and give it to someone else? Where he, he actually comments later on in the, in, the, uh, in the chapter about, you know, if a private citizen did this, if a private citizen said, oh, Rachel, you have all this money, you and Lucas have all this money, I know how to better take care of this money. I'm gonna take it from you, so I'm gonna deploy it somewhere else, you would get um, thrown in jail for stealing. Well, that's exactly what the United States government does. They say, you don't know what's best for everybody else. We're gonna take the money that you produced from your goods and services and ideas, and we're gonna redeploy it to somebody else so that in our minds, everything will be more equal in that situation. And Nelson was not a fan of that.
1: Which isn't pure communism, right? But it's not a completely capitalistic way to incentivize production and labor either. So- What is really interesting is that um, Frederick Bastiat, so this is a French economist and statesman philosopher, he wrote an essay titled The Law in 1850, and he stated it this way. He said, the law perverted, and the police powers of the state perverted along with it. The law, I say, not only turned from its proper purpose, but made to follow an entirely contrary purpose. The law became the weapon of every kind of greed. Instead of checking crime, the law itself guilty of the evils it is supposed to punish. If this is true, it's a serious fact, and moral duty requires me to call the attention of my fellow citizens to it. So he's basically saying um, he identified taxing or taxation as legal plunder. That was his term, Frederick Bastiat. I think I'm saying his name correctly.
2: Yeah, Um, that's that's correct.
1: um, So basically he's saying if the law takes from some people what belongs to them and gives it to other people to whom it doesn't belong – The definition of that is theft or legal plunder. He said, see, if the law benefits one citizen at the expense of another by doing what the citizen himself cannot do, oh, see, I'm not sure I'm reading that correctly. See, if the law benefits one citizen at the expense of another by doing what the citizen himself cannot do without committing a crime. So, the point of that is that he's looking at, and we can look at the idea that if we if we want to be in a position of being in financial control, right? We want to handle our human desires. We want to get in control of our spending. We want to have good money habits. So we do that. And now we want to be in a position that if we store capital and we are holding capital, we're not just spending it all. We're not just deploying it into investments, all of it. We're in a position where we're, we're, um, Doing what Nelson talks about, opportunity seeks liquidity. We're being in a position of having that liquidity so that we can take advantage of opportunities, especially in a downturn. Then you're in a position where you want to preserve that. You want to protect it from anything that could sap it away. And tax isn't the only thing. I mean, there's things like inflation saps the power or the spending power of your stored capital. You could think about, um, other eroders. I mean, inflation is a huge one and tax is a huge one, but sometimes just the idea of, some people say well i'm i'm storing up this wealth and i just need to live off of this without depleting the the principal well that can be also dwindling down that wealth but when you're in a position
2: yeah planned, obsoles- planned obsolescence yes. would be one uh, and companies do this they do not want their their products to last forever but there's a balance that they have to do is you know it has to last long enough that people see some value but they don't want it to last too long Too long so that they have to buy more of it um also technological inflation is what we've been going through for the last 25 years so an example would be your iphone um my father refuses to have a smartphone but the reception on his flip phone now is so poor because what what the technological inflation is is we're going to build a technology that is not going to support a previous part of that technology. So it's going to be rendered useless. And so you're going to be forced Which means to, you buy have to
1: spend more. Yeah,
2: correct. So you have to spend more going forward. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, erosion, but as we can see, taxes are our biggest wealth erosion because we're not, we're talking maybe a little bit about federal tax right now. We're talking about state income tax but you have, you know, you have your sales tax, you have gasoline tax, you have taxes on your cell phone bill, you have taxes on your all your your utility bills. You you have sales tax on a car, you have property tax on your house. I mean, when you add up all the taxes, you, you're probably well north of fifty percent of your income when you add up all the taxes. And I'm talking about for a normal citizen in the United States, Mm -hmm. that well over 50%. And so then you have to say to yourself, is there a better way to deploy this capital? Oftentimes, when people start talking about income tax reduction, they are seen as being evil because they're saying, oh, so you don't want all these services that are really good for people. And we're saying, no, it's not that we don't want that. We agree that we want that. We just think there's a better, more efficient way of getting those goods and services, you know, accomplished so, without the waste. The waste. Comment on that. that it, oh, go ahead. I'm just to say in the uh, final thing, Rachel, and then you can go is, if anybody wants to see the waste, Google the COVID-19 relief acts that were put in place and the amount of waste. We're not talking about. Millions of dollars. We're not talking about tens of millions of dollars. We're not talking about billions of dollars. We're not even talking about tens or hundreds of billions of dollars. We're talking about an excess of trillions of dollars of waste during the COVID 19 relief. And that is because efficiency cannot come very well from a centralized group of people. Uh, it, It will come best from a much wider range of people because they will have their pulse on the individual uh, area which they are in.
1: Yes. And I'm going to, I was going to say, I'm going to channel Nelson Nash for a second, but I'm not sure I'm going to do a great job of this, but I think, well, let me just ask the question, all of the places where government has been most involved, have they been successful? So I'm thinking of, the public school system. We put more and more dollars into a public school system, which I see it as degrading and failing more and more and more in terms of the literacy rates, in terms of our econ- our, our uh, educational performance according or compared to other nations. I see more and more parents pulling their kids out of school, out of the public school system to put them into somewhere that they feel is going to be a better quality of education. And not just education, but then there's all of the agendas that are happening in the school system as well. And you can look at health care. There's people on both sides of this argument. So I'm just going to ask the question, the more government intervenes, the more they force prices, do we get better and better quality care or do we get less quality care? And so that is a question. I think we get less quality, the more that we have the government involved. If you put it in the hands of private citizens, And people who are able to compete and provide what they think is the best service, people vote for what is best with their dollars. And they're not going to pay for lesser quality care the way that they would pay for higher quality care. And so there's just a lot of places that the more government puts their hands, the less efficient the systems become.
2: Yeah, so, and so yeah, Nelson, uh, he said, you know, the problem with all this is that people then throw up their hands and say, I don't know what to do. And they get this despair and so on and so forth. And and uh, that's why you need people to encourage you that even though the government's doing this, you've you got to try to secede from the system as much as possible. You've got to get towards the private institutions as much as possible and succeed from the system as much as possible. Nelson didn't even want to receive his own social security check, but he was actually he tried to stop it, but he was actually at seventy they actually they sent it to him anyway mm-hmm. and it, it just it just drove him crazy because he did not want he did not want to participate in any of that uh, system so then he he was a big proponent of of feeling like he was being manipulated by the government so you know, he he tells this story all the time. And we had one of our early, early podcasts was Ted Benna, who mm-hmm. was the originator of the 401k. And the reason that Ted came on the podcast is he was getting his words actually uh, scrutinized and twisted because Ted did not invent or did not. I shouldn't say invent he discovered a a uh, phrase in the tax code for highly compensated people he was not trying to get rid of the pension plans he was he was simply trying to get highly compensated people some additional tax breaks he did not mean for this 401k to actually replace pensions in the situation but you know the government is is all was all for taxing people to get the goods and services and, and this is what drove Nelson crazy. He says, now, they're always talking about taxes for the good of the people. You know, we're going to do what's best for the society. Oh, by the way, though, but if you do a 401k, you don't have to pay taxes. You can defer them. And Nelson's like, okay, which is it? Do we need to pay the taxes or do we not need to pay the taxes and defer them? And that, was happen- that happened in 1979. And then this is the part that really bugged Nelson because in 1999 then, they came out with the Roth IRA and the Roth IRA was like, oh, okay, so don't pay the, or pay the taxes now. And then you don't have to pay the taxes in the future. And Nelson said, which is, which is it, which is best? You know? So he said, if they don't even know which is best, then don't you feel a little bit manipulated and people never stop and think about those two situations.
1: I mean, it's just, it's what he says here very clearly. He said, what a classic case of appointing the fox to guard the hen house. So basically, if you have a government problem of taxation and the government is creating the solution to the problem that we have, how can we trust that the person creating the problem or the the entity creating the problem is also creating a solution that really is in our best interest? and they're still going to win either way. I mean, they're still going to, if they're they're going to create a product or a loophole for themselves and then ask people to use it, they're still going to benefit from that. They're not going to say, well, this is all just only our goodwill that we want you to not pay taxes. And so we're going to create this magnificent plan for you to not have to pay taxes. No, instead you still do pay tax. You just defer the tax with a typical, with a um qualified plan and you're going to pay when you take the money out so they still are going to get paid then you have the Roth IRA which has a lot of limitations as well as in terms of how much money you can put in and with a Roth you pay tax before you put the money in you don't pay tax when you take it out some great benefit there but at the same time you have limits to what you can put in and limits on your income so the real situation is that if you want to build capital you want to protect it as much as possible, so that you can use it and preserve that wealth. And so, what we want to do is be in a position to figure out how do we most effectively save in taxes. How do we do it properly? How do we not just use the system or have to be? There's um, a word I'm looking for, but be um, victims of a system. Or how do we instead take control in this area and be as um, as preserving of our wealth as possible? And so that's where then. Nelson really pivots and brings back this whole idea of infinite banking is a powerful solution to save in taxes. And mostly because it's not a government sponsored program. It's not something that the government created to say, here's a wonderful way to save in taxes. It's something that was created by private companies that is supported by contract law that is something that allows you to put dollars into a place to store cash and then able to preserve those and not have to pay tax at all in the future going forward. And so it's a powerful tax-saving tool that... um, There's another piece I was going to say that escaped my mind. So, Bruce, I think this is a really amazing idea. There are government interventions along that. There's TAMRA laws, there's DEFRA laws. How much can you put in? Still call it a life insurance contract. How can you still maintain the tax advantages? There's a lot of ways that The government has then, or the IRS has put restrictions on what you can do with whole life insurance to make it not quite as attractive as it used to be in the olden days when people were putting as much money in as possible and then preserving that tax free all the way until the end. So you have a little bit of limitations, but the principle and the fundamentals of the product still remain.
2: Yeah, I mean, I tell people all the time. uh if you don't think this is a good place to store your cash, then you're not listening to the government because the government wants to put limits on how much you could store in. So it's not, a, it's not good for them. So anything that's not good for them is probably pretty good for you. Um, Nelson brought this point out on many occasions that the, the IRS federal um, taxes were established in 1913 and whole life insurance has been around for over 200 years and so it predates the um the, the founding of the the IRS and the taxation and and it has withstood the test of time during that period and there have been some modifications to the to the laws the 7702 laws along the way and there's been a lot of modifications to the tax laws just recently the secure act and then the secure act 2.0 which came out about 18 months later. So they're always changing this. So one way to succeed from the situation is to get your money into as much tax-free situations as possible. Now, there's some limitations there, but there's not as many limitations as there are in tax-deferred positions. And because we do not know what the future of taxes are going to be uh, and what the amount is going to be, uh, going ahead and settling it up right now is, a, in many people's opinion, is a much better way of doing things uh, going forward. So, Nelson was just really saying that I think everything about his book, Rachel, is about personal responsibility. I've said this hundreds of times. I'm a big proponent of that. Um, yes, you should get advisors in your life. You should get, you should get the information. You should, you should always ask the question, is this information good? Why is the people telling you this? You know, I, I encourage people all the time to question why we're telling people this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, we're trying to serve. And if we serve really well, we'll get paid for our goods and services. That's the way the economy works. Uh, but if we don't serve people well, we we won't get paid for our goods and services. But we we feel that this is the best way that a person can take personal responsibility for their finances, not just to give it to somebody else in a government-sponsored program and say, here, take care of me in the future, even though I don't know what the future is going to hold. So personal responsibility was the number one thing. And that's why Nelson liked whole life insurance, because you were responsible for saving the whole life. Contract is private property, and private property cannot be um, taxed the same way in the system as qualified plans can be taxed. So this is one of the things that Nelson really espoused and he thought would be best for a vast majority of people in the United States.
1: And just to clarify, um, if you have any questions on this whole idea of how is whole life insurance taxed? What requirements are in place to prevent this um, what what requirements do you have to follow in order to not be taxed differently on that money? We'd be happy to answer those. If you have questions live, you can pop those in the chat. Um, if you have questions about that personally, you can um, send them to us as well. But something I think that is very clearly, uh, I think that we need to clearly articulate is that, whole life insurance is not tax free. Your experience of it can be tax free, but it's not truly tax free. So let me explain. We call it a triple tax advantage that you get when you use whole life insurance. So before you fund your premium, you pay tax on that money. You had your income from whatever source, you pay tax on that money that's now settled. Now you put that money into whole life insurance premiums. You don't pay again from that point. And here's how you cannot pay again on that money you are able to then build up a death benefit you you have a death benefit day one if you structure the prop the policy in the most efficient way possible your death benefit is going to continue to rise over the life of the policy when that death benefit pays out to your heirs that will be income tax free to them so that's one tax advantage you're getting in It's income tax-free to your heirs. Now, how do you get to use this money during your lifetime? Well, that whole life contract has cash value as well. And as the cash value is growing inside the policy, it's like equity. It starts out small and grows larger and larger over time so that your cash value and your death benefit meet at the end of the contract, which is the time that you turn 120, or is it 121?
2: One. 121. 121. There we
1: go. In mo- In most contracts. So- What happens is all along that way, you can access your cash value. You can access it in multiple ways. You can certainly withdraw that money, but that's not the most efficient way to do so. You can access it as well through policy loans. If you access it through a policy loan, you are able to then request a loan from the life insurance company. It's a guaranteed loan. You're going to get access to this just because you have the cash value. They're not going to say, oh, your credit's too low, or your income is too low, or we don't think you're going to repay, or we think this is a poor use of your money. They're not asking any of those questions. You have $400,000 of cash value available in your policy. You are entitled to access almost up to that. They they retain a small buffer. So maybe 98, 99, 97% of that money you are able to access through a policy loan. And when you get that loan, you're not paying tax on that loan that you've received. And when you repay the loan, you're not paying tax on money that you're putting back into the policy to repay that loan. So you're experiencing that money tax-free. Truly, it's called tax-deferred. It's called tax-deferred growth inside of the policy. But if you use it by through policy loans and not through withdrawals, you will experience it tax-free. Bruce, is there anything else that we can clarify
2: on that? No, I, I'm smiling because Nelson did a presentation at the think tank one year where he actually showed uh, distributions from his, his policies, and he had 30-plus policies. And he said, you know, he, he originally, and there's some reasons why, In the if you're going to use it for passive income, you may actually take a distribution or withdrawal later on in life, and then change to a loan. So that's what Nelson was doing. He was withdrawing his cost basis. And for people that don't know what the cost basis is, basically the cost basis is how much premium you had originally put into the policy. So you can always draw, withdraw up to that without any taxes because you've already paid taxes on it. And so he withdraw, withdrew it, and then the insurance company sent him a letter and said, the next withdrawal will be taxable. Because he's over his cost basis. And I remember Nelson in the presentation said, I told them, wait a minute, it will not be taxable because I am going to now change that you're going to send me a loan every month. And just like if you were going to get a loan against your house or your car or any other thing, that's not considered income. So you do not get taxed on that. So it's it's nuance. It's not it's not a loophole. It is very clearly stated in the tax code, so it's not a problem at all. Um, the The one thing that I mean, I know we have other things to talk about, but I love how Nelson ends this particular chapter. Oh, me too.
1: Yeah, go ahead. We can we can wrap up here, Bruce.
2: He says he says, and I already talked about this being private property, but this is the part that I really liked. He said, "And only people who care about others." that are dear to them so your loved ones participate in this idea what a group of people to be associated with in business and rachel you know what we what i what i think has happened nowadays with ibc is people have forgotten it's a life insurance contract and that life insurance contract is the greatest thing that you can provide if something were to happen to you well, when something happens to you, as Nelson used to say, when you graduate from this earth, you're going to give the next generation capital to be used and, and, and you're going to prepare them for that capital in, a, in the wisest way possible. So he said, those type of people, you really want to do business with because they care about their loved ones. Unfortunately, out in the TikTok, Instagram world, They don't even worry about the death benefit. It's just, what can it happen? What can it be for me right now? I'm I'm deploying this money. I want to grow this wealth for me, 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 me. And they don't think about the death benefit as being, and actually I had somebody once um, question Nelson, because they don't understand when he says your need of financing is greater than your need for a death benefit. He didn't say the death benefit was not important. He's just saying if you can control that, the need for financing, you can actually grow your death benefit even higher from doing that. Because what most people do is they just, they just pay the 30 35% interest to everybody, and then they only have a little bit left over. And they're like, well, can I get some term insurance and hope I die within that term? You know, it's, uh, it's not a very good way of living your life.
1: Yeah, I think that Nelson really did a great job of ending this chapter on a high note. And especially because you're absolutely right, Bruce. I mean, if you want to be associated with good people, then associate yourself with people who care about others, who are doing the right thing, who are not just thinking about themselves, who are not just egotistical, who are not just in it for the short term, for the quick fix, for the, you know, the flash in the pan thing that tomorrow is going to be a new flashy strategy. I mean, all of those things come and they go. They they vanish, they dissipate, they fizzle out. And if you want to be associated with people who are in it for the long haul, who are doing what's best for the long term, for not just themselves for a lifetime, but for their kids, kids' lifetime and their children's children's lifetime, whole life insurance is a powerful tool to really think generationally. Um, I don't I don't think we could have possibly said that any better. And let's go ahead and wrap up there. If you have questions about the Becoming Your Own Banker book or about infinite banking. Um, Sometimes we we really have multiple types of people who listen to the show. So if you are on Facebook or YouTube or listening to the podcast after we publish this on the podcast channels or on LinkedIn, maybe you are really familiar with the whole life insurance concept and infinite banking already. And this is something that you've heard a hundred times. Maybe even you're an insurance producer and you're listening because you're always wanting to um, just continue to sharpen the saw for yourself and um, think about things from a different perspective. So if you're in that category, you're probably already thinking this way. But if this is something brand new to you, you might be saying, I'm not really sure what this is all about. Um, It sounds really good. I like some of the concepts. I'm not really sure who Nelson Nash is. I'm not really sure what um, dividend paying life insurance is. We have a lot of tools and resources and guides and previous podcasts and A way that you can just meet with us individually to really figure out how you can make this work for you. So reach out to us. You can email hello at themoneyadvantage.com. You can also go straight to themoneyadvantage.com and you can book a call with an advisor to really be able to talk through your situation, your questions. How can this apply to me? What is my life circumstance? Where am I trying to go? What are my goals? What am I working with? How can I get my money working as efficiently as possible and really be able to start thinking longer term? And think more generationally and save in taxes and be in a position of more financial control. So, we would love to help you in any of those ways. And um, thank you for listening to the show today. Thank you for being with us on this journey. Thanks for being part of our tribe. And if you could please hit that thumbs up button wherever you're watching, that helps more people to be able to find our work and to be able to learn from this so that they can implement in their life. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, We'd love for you to rate and review the channel as well. It really just helps us to be able to expand the reach and reach more people. Um, Thank you for being with us today. Thanks, Bruce, for joining me. Thank you to Nelson um, up in heaven uh, as we just continue on the message that he shared and that he made so public. And it's certainly been around much longer than Nelson Nash's life, but he brought these powerful truths to People like you and me, regular, everyday people who just want to do what's best for their family. And so if that's you, we would love to add you on, on board the Infinite Banking um, bandwagon. There we go, bandwagon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bruce, anything you want to say before I close us?
2: More and more people are reaching out and um, actually talking about the content that we are doing. And they're really, they're really appreciative of it. And if you have any ideas of topics that you would like us to cover, then please please let us know, because I think we're trying to serve what you think is most important, and we will try to uh, address those topics for you. In any aspect, you know, we, we're trying to uh, do this as a financial education show with the, with the foundation being dividend paying whole life, But we bring on people in all um, aspects of business. We can even find people for you to bring on to the show and uh, just give some suggestions of topics and we'll be happy to try to make that happen for you.
1: Yes, that's a very great question. If you have direct questions as well about money in general, about anything to do with finance, about anything to do with taxes or the economy or anything to do with life insurance or anything to do with investing, we would love to be a resource for you. Ask your questions. We love to turn those questions into um, a Q&A session where we just answer questions live from our listeners. And so or we answer questions from our listeners in a live format like this. It might not be you ask the question live, but we are in a position to be able to answer those. And um, if you're asking a question that's about your personal situation, we can certainly answer that for you. But a lot of times people are asking the same questions that are on your mind as well. And if you have concerns, if you have questions, if you have things that are weighing on you financially, we'd love to be a resource to help you through that. So um, thank you, Bruce, for for that. Thank you for joining us on the show today. And we will see you next time. And in closing, please remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside.
0: Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com.